On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll along. And that's what we do. We roll along here on the other side of Texas. Glad that you're tuning in. Glad that you're telling friends about other side of Texas. Some big news coming up in the next month uh, that I think you're going to be interested in. I cannot break the news, nor can Beto O'Rourke break his news. Going to get into that here in just a moment. About 10 minutes from now, we'll have Ross Ramsey on the program and then... Ross Ramsey transitioning into tinfoil. Let me put on my tinfoil hat. Mike Bizarre, Bizarre Solutions, all the things that could go wrong with technology. We talk about with Mike Bizarre some crazy stories today. And you'll apologize if I go. I'll apologize, I should say. You shouldn't have to apologize if I go into all out Alex, Alex Jones. Um, it's it's very possible I could leave me alone, you idiot. I could break into some Alex Jones. Hey, I think something that shaped. Let's just start here today. Something that shaped the Texas election. Lots of times I get confused with somebody like Chris Matthews who said Obama sends uh, a tingle up his legs. Uh, I'm not enthusiastic about Beto O'Rourke. But I do appreciate a conversation in which there is a suitable Democratic voice to question Republican dominance. I don't think a one-party state benefits anybody. Um, I, I think it, well, it benefits a few on either side. But when there is a divergence between the two and the two are heard, like we saw in the last election... You know, you had a lieutenant governor, you had a um, an attorney general, you had some other, you know, at 6% difference in the vote, and then a 3% within the Senate campaign. I'm not actively rooting for Texas to become purple. I am actively rooting for Texas to become smarter. I'm all about that. Like, let's have the conversation. Let's talk about substantive policy. Let's not make, as I've written before and said before, if you run campaigns on social issues alone, that presumes that there are societies in Texas in which to have social issue change. And within a lot of rural Texas, just simply not the case. So let's hear from competing voices. Let's hear, like, all the time I hear this from the right. There has to be a marketplace of ideas. We have to have a market. Well, if you've got a one-party state, then you no longer have a marketplace of ideas. Uh, Politically speaking, what you have are the fringes who are turning out to the primaries to vote. And then there is no general election, and so you get the fringes from either side, left or right. And that's what that's what Texas has been under 
through the Obama years, to be sure. Uh, George W. Bush and then into uh, Barack Obama, uh, you saw uh, the fringes begin to control policy. And I don't think that that makes for good policy. And here we are all these years later, and guess what we're talking about? We're talking about public education. Because what happened to public education over the last 10 or 15 years, whenever it was one-party run? It had some problems. And now you've got the people on the furthest of the right trying to buy off teachers for a $5,000 teacher pay raise. That's what you got. And you know why they're doing that? Because they need to buy off a lot of voters or at least quell the storm. They need to at least get in there and say, look, we're for these public education, these government employees which is the height of hypocrisy. If you're all in on the far right, Dan Patrick, and the Dan Patrick Elk and Texas Public Policy Foundation, if you're all in to de-systemize public education, then what are you doing right now? You're just you're throwing out some money and saying, hey, I hope that some teachers buy into this. I hope that this quells a little bit of what's going to come in 2020. And that's the bottom line. That is that is the truth. That's what you're seeing right before you right now. Because we've not had substantive policy discussions. And that's where we stand. Which brings me to Beto O'Rourke not challenging John Cornyn in 2020. This short update from the Text Tribune. Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the same publication, coming up soon. The former El Paso congressman and 2018 U.S. Senate candidate has said he's made up his mind on 2020 decision uh, by the end of the month. Beto O'Rourke is not running for U.S. Senate in 2020 against John Cornyn. Of course, those of you who may not know, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz run on opposite years, so in opposite cycles. So 2018, Ted Cruz ran, and in 2020, John Cornyn will run. Uh, they credit this being Patrick Svitek and Abby Livingston. A person familiar with his thinking told the Texas Tribune. Familiar with his thinking? Okay. The Dallas Morning News first reported Wednesday that O'Rourke, a Democrat, would not take on U.S. Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, after the El- former El Paso uh, congressman, clo- a congressman's, sorry, possessive there, closer than expected loss to the state's junior senator, Ted Cruz. O'Rourke has since been encouraged to run for president and has said he has hopes to have a decision by the end of the month which is Thursday Amy and I made a decision about how best to serve our country O'Rourke said in a statement to the Dallas News we are excited to share it with everyone soon Um, and then the story ends with the story will be developing story will be updated 
O'Rourke, and this links back to another story, O'Rourke keeps his suspense with days until anticipated 2020 decision. The Dateline El Paso, Beto O'Rourke could be a presidential candidate for days from now or not. Here's Beto O'Rourke's problem in panning out from West Texas and from Texas. Some of you are going to think I'm crazy whenever I hear whenever you hear this, but Beno O'Rourke is seen as too centrist in the coastal states, uh, California, and then as you go over to the East Coast and work your way up to New York, seen as too centrist. And it's going to be interesting what he does because Joaquin Castro, uh, excuse me, Julian Castro, smart to get out in front of O'Rourke. Because Castro is not playing to the left sides, which, you know, what are you going to do? And you think back to the shades of Clinton against Paul Songus and Clinton running initially as a liberal Democrat, finding ground outside of Songus and running as a son of the South. And really interesting. I don't like to take up national politics but every once in a while I like to chime in and say I think I understand what's going on and that's what I think I think 100% we'll talk to Ross Ramsey here in a couple of minutes see what he's thinking I think Beto O'Rourke is in I think 2020 is going to come as a crunch therefore you must pay off the teachers pay them off pay them off before he gets here no substantive policy from the Texas Senate. Just pay off the teachers and hope that that sticks. I don't think it will. Ross Ramsey coming up after the Planning each week. He's with us here on the program. My political counselor makes everything feel better again. He is Ross Ramsey of the executive editor of the Texas Tribune. How are you doing, Ross Ramsey? Doing great, sir. How are you? We're uh, glad to hear from you here. Ross, I know you don't like to make predictions, but I just did a monologue about this, and I queued up the question without making you aware. Beto, is Beto O'Rourke going to run for president? I don't know. I mean, there's an argument for that that he has made and talked about. There's an argument for running for Senate that he and others have made and talked about. And there's an argument for staying home that, you know, he brought up right after he lost the race to Ted Cruz. He said, I want to spend some more time for my family. So, you know, I think the chances that he won't run for something are pretty small. I mean, if you weren't running for office for some kind of thing, I don't think you'd be this public about it. Uh, The question now is Hmm. whether he runs for, one or the other of the other offices or you know as texas law allows runs for both of them yeah thank you lbj uh so let's get into you wrote a piece and texas has two for one option for julian castro and beto o'rourke gonna be pretty hard and this came out yesterday but it's gonna be hard for those two to differentiate themselves or will it you know, that's to be seen. I mean, you know, the the Republicans did gave us actually sort of a model for this in 2016 when you had, you know, more than a dozen people running for the Republican nomination for president, 
And they had the same problem. You know, how do you stand out in a field like that? And some of the people that we thought would stand out, notably Jeb Bush, didn't do so. And, you know, a lot of people didn't think Ted Cruz would do as well as he did. Almost nobody thought Donald Trump would do as well as he did. You know, the candidates find a way. And, you know, one of the things you can say about a presidential primary is that it's a testing ground. And getting through a pack of candidates like that is part of the test. So I've heard from people who've heard from both of these guys on the coast, and they think that they're too centrist. How does that play? I mean, I know that you're not the executive editor of America's Tribune. You're the executive editor of the Texas Tribune, but... How did the how did the coast set the tempo here in the Democratic Party? I don't know that the, I don't know that the coast will set the tempo. You know, the first races are in Iowa and New Hampshire, and because these races are so nationalized now and happen so much on television and debates and on news and things like that, various appearances around the country. You know, the candidates get a reading, and what you'll see at the beginning of a race is everybody with a starting position. You know, I'm going to be the candidate, you know, political pundits like to talk about lanes, but I'm going to be the candidate who's from this part of the party or who represents this set of ideas. And as the candidates do this, they're all competitors, and they're all um, kind of political magpies. If they see somebody else doing something that's working, they might just grab that and add it to their bag of tricks. And sometimes the candidate that you get at the end of a primary process is, you know, a a different candidate than the one who started. They get more refined. They throw away the ideas that don't work. They pick up the ideas that do work, whether those were their ideas or not. And a primary, like I said, is is a testing ground and you find out who's most capable of maneuvering through a competitive field of ideas with voters who haven't completely decided exactly what it is that they're looking for until they see it. And, you know, the reason, you know, one reason these are hard to predict is because the candidates and the race and the public all develop together at the same time over an 18, you know, 12 or 18 month period. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever you say a two for one, you don't mean that you know, they're both the same guy. You mean that they could run for the Senate and the presidency at the same time? Right. Either of them could do this. You know, this is mostly not a run for president and run for Senate idea. It's mostly, in, you know, the two people who've done it in Texas were LBJ himself in 1960 and Lloyd Benson, who was a state uh, U.S. senator who did it in 1988 as Michael Dukakis's running mate. Both Lyndon Johnson and Lloyd Benson were up for re-election in a year that they were on the national ticket as a vice president. LBJ was able to do it because he got the Texas legislature to allow it. You know, Texas has a a law that says you can only be in one race on a ballot at a time, and that law has an exception now called the LBJ rule, which is unless one of the offices that you're seeking is either president or vice president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So what prompted this idea was that O'Rourke and Castro have both been talked about at this very early date as the kind of candidates that if they didn't win the presidency might make attractive vice presidential candidates. And so the question there is, well, you could run for Senate and do that, whether you were Castro or O'Rourke. And for that matter, once you go back and look at the law, you could, you know, if you wanted to and, you, you know, you felt like you had too much time on your hands, run for president and senator at the same time. 
Ross, as somebody who writes about substantive issues three times a week, it has to... I'm not, you don't have to be partisan. You can just say it's helpful to have a, more than a one-party discussion in this state. And that was something else I talked about in the monologue was, you know, you don't have to be all in for Beto. And, like, to Chris Matthews' point, not have a tingle up your leg about Obama to say, I'm glad that we're having a two-party discussion because – the issues that we are facing now, at least it seems to me, with school finance and with what we're doing about teachers, that these are not, didn't just come up circumstantially all of a sudden. These have been long festering issues. And I think it's helpful. Just your thoughts. It's helpful to have a two party discussion in this state. Yeah, it doesn't have to be political party discussions. You've got to have a competition of ideas and of people to find out whether the ideas stand up to argument and whether the people stand up to that kind of pressure. And you can do a lot of that kind of work inside of a primary. I mean, if you've got, you know, good candidates in a primary or tough candidates in a primary, oftentimes we find out in a primary who we want in the final office, and the general election doesn't matter. You know, it, it might be that the contest between two Republicans in March is more important than the contest between a Republican and a Democrat in November, or, you know, switch the parties in that last sentence and you get the same answer. As long as you have people in a, you know, somewhat constructive argument, you're testing ideas and people at the same time. And if you don't have any competition, then you get, you know, stale ideas and stale people. But, you know, this kind of competition, whether it's inside parties or between parties, I think is really good. Uh, let's go back to Feb 22. Some five days ago, you put up a piece, Political Climate Changes in Texas Congressional District Sorted by Congressional District. The 2018 general election results illustrate which members of the Texas delegation will be on Democratic and Republican target lists leading into the 2020 cycle. What's that about, Ross, and what can we expect coming up? Well, so we knew in November, you know, how the candidates did on the ballot. So you know in November that Greg Abbott beat Lupe Valdez in Texas by, you know, a good number of votes. And you could even look at that on a county basis because that's how our votes are reported. But it takes a while for them to crunch the numbers to say, you know, what happened in the Abbott-Valdez race? in this Senate district and that Senate district or this House district and that House district, what was really happening in all the all the little different political microclimates around the state. Now we have those numbers, and you can look at those. And, you know, they, they, they say some things that you would expect. You know, um, a lot of these races were closer than people expected. But when you get down to the district level, there are a lot of members of the legislature, for example, who are Republicans who were elected in districts where statewide Republicans won by very small amounts, where Beto O'Rourke beat Ted Cruz, and or where Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump a couple of years ago. And when you're making a, when you're putting together a political strategy from whichever party, from whatever you're doing, you want to look at those numbers to see where the soft spots in the other person's, in the other party's armor are. 
so you can go forward. And really, you know, when those numbers became available, I'm, you know, I'm a political nerd and I love those spreadsheets and I jump in there and see what you've got. You know, the easiest way to talk about this is there are, you know, about a fifth of the seats in the Texas House are, depending on the candidates and the climate in 2020, going to be contestable where under the particular circumstances, either the Republicans or Democrats could win. That's a big swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how's that play out, though? You want to do some forecasting here? You want to put on your Tim Russert hat and uh, bring out the board? Not yet. I want to, you know, I mean, what you're watching right now is how the, and I'll tell you why, you know, the Texas legislature is in session and they're about to make a bunch of tough decisions on things like property taxes and school finance and school safety and this and that and the other thing. And they're going to be doing that with their own um, analyses of these kinds of numbers, trying to figure out what the people that they represent are thinking whether those people have changed their minds about things what 2020 might look like and you know in the best sense of it they're trying to watch their voters and see what it is they should be doing and and correct their courses and until you get to the end of the session and you see how they've actually voted and done on these things and we've got a little bit more uh, time under our wings with the new members of congress and some of the old members of congress you don't really know what kind of shape they are going into those races what you do know is that the climate in a lot of those districts through 2018 um, should light up the caution lights for a significant number of candidates, mainly on the Republican side, but also on the Democratic side. Yeah, how will it light up those cautionary lights, though? Well, you know, I mean, the the voters have shown a proclivity to, you know, um, split the ballot. You know, we're going to have, you know, if you're in a district where the average statewide Republican won, you know, the Greg Abbott's won or the Dan Patrick's, you know, whoever, those guys won, but where Beto O'Rourke won or where Hillary Clinton won, you're looking at a bunch of voters who are capable of voting for Democrats and Republicans all at the same time. And that's not the same as being in a Democratic district or a Republican district, Mm -hmm. right? So you already know that those voters are potentially on the fence, and you know you either adjust to that, or you you know you adapt to that, or you, or somebody else comes in and who's adapted better. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to come out. I just know that you know there's a you have a watch list now, and you know when we get closer to the election, you'll see who um, did the best preparation for for the political storm ahead and who did the worst yeah uh, ross ramsey executive editor of the texas tribune with us i'm a little disappointed so far as somebody who sits behind their microphone and talks about what's going on day to day in the legislature uh it was much shall i say sexier in the 85th legislature back in 2017 than it is now um ross that's just my own right. view uh the ideological divides were much sharper than they are now and it doesn't seem like much is going on it's like what do you want to talk about in texas politics well let's just talk about property tax reform which is not nearly as good as talking about bathrooms back a a session ago but where 
control of the next Texas legislature will be decided, where will it be decided? Where will we see the defining issues in this legislature that as we watch it play out over the next four months? You know, I think a lot of legislators would stand up and clap at what you just said. You know, they don't want to look like they're fooling around or that they're doing something silly and that they're doing it just to get attention. They want to look like they're actually doing something. A number of these folks have told me that one of the missions for them this session is to look like the opposite of Washington and not to look silly, but to look like they're doing serious work. If they can get something done on property taxes, on school finance, on school safety, on Hurricane Harvey, on things like that, what they call meat and potatoes or bread and butter issues, um, I think they'll count that as a win. And I think the ones who were nervous about uh, getting knocked off by voters who are tired of silly people in government are going to be, you know, if they can pull that off in this session, that's going to be a win for them. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that you and I are bored, because, you know, journalists are fight promoters, the fact that you and I are bored doesn't really matter to them. If they look to the voters like they're doing a serious, good job, you know, they're betting that the voters will reward them for that. Mm. And and by your calculation, are they doing a serious job right now, Ross Ramsey? I think we're early. You know, the legislature always takes a long time to really get going and to really get the debates going. And we're just at that point of the legislature. The committees are really just now firing up. We're starting to see real conversations about exactly what do you want in the property tax bill. I think we'll see the school finance bill next week. And I think we'll see a lot of debate and a lot of, um, you know, contention over these things because they're hard things to solve. And as they go through that exercise, we'll start to see, you know, whether we've got, you know, who we admire and who we don't. Yeah. Do you think that uh, this is what I've heard from some lawmakers is that this session could turn into a racetrack for Republican issues because they don't believe that they're going to hold the House. Um, That this session, if we can get it done, we're going to get it done in the House. I know that in in your piece, you say in 31 of the state's 150 Texas House districts, the top candidates for the Republicans and Democrats finish fewer than 10 percentage points apart in last year's uh, general election. Do you think it could become a racetrack? Like, if we're going to get it done, let's get it done now because we could lose one of the branches in Texas government? Yeah, I think they're less worried about that on the Republican side than they are about, you know, getting back some of the seats that the Democrats won and didn't expect to win. You know, there were half a dozen seats that the Democrats won that a lot of people didn't think they would win, including some of the Democrats. And, you know, there's a number of Republicans who are worried that the Democrats are within striking range, but there are at least as many who believe that they can take back some of the seats that the Democrats unexpectedly won in 2018. The problem with forecasting this is 2018 was such a weird year, it's hard to tell whether it was rain and frogs that one time or whether that was the beginning of a trend line. And When will you know, you know, you know it's different, though, people. Ross? In 2020? 2020. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, you'll know it in the, you'll know it to some extent in the polling and in the door-to-door campaigning before the 2020 race. But that's really going to be where you tell the tale. Is 2020 an extension of 2018, or was 2018 kind of an outlier and just a weird election? Yeah. Hmm. 
Ross Ramsey at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. You can check him out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Texttribune.org. Any closing thoughts there, Ross? No, I think this is the fun part to watch the legislature. If you're into this kind of thing, this is, you know, it's popcorn time. Well, I think people just expect to not watch it and hear from you. A lot of people on this program, we appreciate you making time each Wednesday to join us. Have a great week, bud. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. All right. Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. And we are going to get into... uh, quickie break here and get mike bizarre bizarre solutions in studio and uh talk about technology and why i think that uh we could be in a lot of trouble here um i know that people love to listen leave me alone you idiot love to listen to me talk like alex jones on wednesdays mike bizarre coming up here after the break we'll see you right here a couple minutes from now other side of texas you can find us on twitter at ostx show other side of texas on facebook always have a great meme for you there other side of texas.com see you in a couple of minutes shake the dirt off your shoes come over take a seat knock that chill off your bones got food on the fire can i get you some to eat make yourself at home yeah i'm on the I'm looking out, searching for something that I still care about. I'm looking up to the sky. Fire on the mountain, gonna let it burn so high. Get in with our friend, and I've played it up for you. I try not to sound like Alex Jones on these (laughs) segments with you, where I may say... You think I am like, oh, shot. By it, so I'm up here bashing it because I don't like gay people. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? That's what we, ugh, ugh, serious crap. That's what we trying to stay away from. We, yeah, all all our stuff is uh, scientifically proven true. Uh, don't talk to Alex Jones about that. But <laughs> uh, how you doing? I'm good, man. Up up to my eyeballs busy, but I'll take it. It's busy or unemployed. Bizarre so. solutions. Yeah. Um, chugging along. Yeah. Uh, so, some things we want to get into today. Yeah. Uh, we always hear that, like, you have three times more germs in your mouth than a dog does. Yeah. But you found some stuff that um, makes me kind of cringe. Yep. What's dirtier than your toilet? Your phone. Seven times dirtier, they're saying. Is that because everything you did on the toilet is on your phone? I think it's a combination of, and this is the part that's a little bit kind of, ugh, is how often you go to the bathroom, wash your hands, and then after you've washed your hands, you walk back to your table or to your you know dinner table at the house, whatever, and you pull your phone out. Or you do something sitting at the table and you pull your phone out. and it's, Because you were in the in the john that's it and so you get whatever's there is now on your hands again Mm -hmm. and you're not washing it and then you're also putting it up by your face and your nose and your eye i mean like that whole area which is susceptible to getting germs and everything else and so i think the problem is nobody cleans their phone except for my wife who's a germaphobe she uh i told her that and she goes oh i clean my phone i use alcohol and clean my phone oh she's like yeah rubbing alcohol not 
Not Tito's. No, well, I mean, maybe. But, maybe, but maybe. rubbing alcohol. R- rubbing alcohol. And just wipes it down. Yeah, and so I think that's the thing, right? Spray some alcohol. I mean, you don't want to douse your phone in it, but spray it on a paper towel or a cloth and, and wipe it down or a light spray and then clean it off. But so, if you never clean your phone, it's probably really disgusting. What I'm hearing you say is the next time people who listen to this program regularly yeah. go to the water cooler and grab their coworker, their associate's phone, yeah, and download the podcast, this program. That's it. They should do that. They need to probably have an alcohol swipe with them. Yeah. Or, or go wash their hands afterwards or something, because everybody's phone is apparently no. disgusting. Alcohol, I, we're just going to get some other side of Texas alcohol swipes and just start handing them out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't good. forget to download for a friend. But it's seven times more. Yeah, it's gross. We're talking like Chernobyl? It, like, well, they said like there's it? strep. They found MRSA, which is like one of the super bugs, you know, the bacterial re- or antibiotic resistant bug. They found, um, you know, E. coli, which is, you know, just poo. And uh, just all kinds of gross stuff. Just poo. Uh, it's because everybody uses their phone in the bathroom or they just who, have dirty hands and they touch it. Who did this study? Uh, I don't remember. I read it this morning and I've been so busy that I I, yeah. I had that at one point in my head today. But it's, I mean, you can go Google it because it's all over the news this morning and everything. I mean, and in my defense, in our defense, we we talked about this yesterday, day before, saying, man, this would be good. And then all the news media started picking it up this morning. But, it, uh, yeah, seven times dirtier. It's gross. Then a toilet. Then a toilet. Man. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you Makes you nervous. Well, and, and I think the thing right now, Spur just canceled classes for the rest of the week. Spur, Texas. Spur, Texas, did yeah. because they're deep, deep cleaning the school because so many kids are sick. I want to say that Slayton did. Plainview, I think, did earlier, you know, a couple weeks ago. And so, like, these these viruses are everywhere right now. And it's just that time of year, flu virus and these cold viruses and whatever's out. So, again, it, clean your phone. It's probably gross. Without rubbing alcohol. Rubbing alcohol. Or the other thing I've heard these some of these news guys saying is you can buy, like, a UV thing and you put your phone in it. And, and it'll use UV light to clean your phone. But I think that's probably a more expensive way than just taking rubbing alcohol clean yeah. your phone off what about the oxy strips and that what they used to call them like whenever we were teenagers you could buy some oxy just wipe your face yeah. off yeah but i don't know if that's probably got acids in it like i think that had sterilic acid or some other acid which is bad because why well i don't know it's just that's what'll break the bacteria and other stuff down but i don't know if acid would be the best thing cleaning your phone okay so just get a bottle of rubbing alcohol as high of percentages because if you can go to the store you can get like 70 or 90 Go get 90% alcohol, rubbing alcohol, and clean your phone off. So, or Jim Beam. Or Jim Beam, if you want. And then maybe you pour it on and lick it off, but then it's probably still dirty. Mike Bazaar. <laughs> Bazaar Solutions. What else we need to get into here? I mean, so this, I think, is a somber topic, and we talk about stuff like this a Sober lot. or somber? Somber. Like, okay. this is... This so, is that has been a nice segue from... It. It is a sobering topic. So mm-hmm. if you've been on the Jim Beam cleaning your phone... We're about to sober you up. So, and again, I, I don't want this to turn into, you know, the, the conspiracy theory crazy hour, but a bunch of advertisers have seen this and they've pulled uh, advertising dollars. YouTube, there has been videos cropping up of uh, two, three, four minutes into kids' videos that somebody will walk out in this video or it'll cut to a person and they will give suicide instructions. 
to the kid. And so the one that this is a pediatrician mom, and so this is the one that's kind of spurred the article. Her kids were in the living room or something watching YouTube and watching some silly cartoon. And then it stopped and it changed to a guy's voice. And he said, remember, kids, if you cut, you know, I think long ways for, you know, if you cut long ways, I guess it'll better odds of killing you versus sideways across your arm is just going to. Um, anyway, so given suicide instructions to kids. And so now they've gone and they found more videos. And then as this continues to grow, um, if you look, I think a couple weeks ago, actually, I started talking about this, is advertisers were starting to pull money from YouTube because there was some pedophile stuff going on on YouTube, like different videos and other things. And, and so it's just crazy to me. And, and I think what it really proves is that and this was on uh, YouTube Kids, so I don't know if it was KidTube, which you've mentioned, you know, your kids use. But YouTube Kids and YouTube, I mean, if your kids are doing this in their room or in quiet places and, and isolated from you as a parent, then they might be seeing this stuff and you just don't know. And so you've got to take the time to talk to your kids and ask questions. My kids the other day were playing with, with my brother's kids. They were on playing Roblox. Roblox is a good game. It's kind of silly, but it's got a collection of, of different games. Well, hold on. Yeah. We don't let the kids play Roblox. You don't? Roblox. Yeah, we do. Because there's all this stuff affiliated with it. Like There can be. And so, like this was, they were playing a game, and the game was this horror film scare the other people game. Five Nights at Freddy's. There you go. And we Is said, that, nope. Was that what it was? It might have been. Yeah. yeah. And so we because said no. our kids were talking to other kids who were like, oh, you got to play Roblox because you can go fr- Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. And they're talking, even though they've never played it, talking like they're experts at it. Yeah. Like, guys, we don't play that game, so why are we talking about it? Yep. Then that's it. And so the the bad part was they played it for a day, and I didn't catch it. The next day, I started asking questions, and, and they were playing with their cousins. So I called my brother and said, have you seen this game? And I'm standing over their shoulder looking at it. I'm like, I just don't think there's anything good in it. And so what we always go back to with our kids is go back to Bible verse. Whatever is good and holy and pure, dwell on these things. And so is this good? No. Is this holy? No. Mm -hmm. Is this pure? No. You probably shouldn't be doing it. Let's turn it off. So they found, I don't know, theme park something, and they started building the theme park and played a different game. But all of that to say, I mean, you you can block Roblox, and if that's what you want to say as a policy, then I I think that's great and stick with it. But the the Policy night? Yeah, that's it. Policy night. Yeah, movie night, and then policy night. Policy night at the Leeson household. Um, But I I think the bigger thing is that I I hear and see stories and talk to parents, and they just let their kids do whatever. Mm -hmm. And the danger is, is with this technology, with social media. I mean, there have been stories recently of kids staying up all night on their phone, and they have all these pressures because they're trying to counsel and you know cover their friends and. And and to me, the suicide thing just brings it to the head again of saying, you've got to talk to your kids and, and have them say, hey, this is weird. Mom and dad, could you verify that this is okay? And so if you don't have those conversations, then your kids will deal with it on their own because they don't know that they should, right? They're kids. They've never been trained. And and I just, there's a lot of scary stuff on the Internet, and there's a lot of bad people uh-huh. trying to do things because they think it's funny. How many? I just don't understand the compensation on that, though. Some of it's just because they want to. The other one that's out, same sort of thing as the Momo Challenge. I don't know if you've heard about that one. So they apparently friend somebody on WhatsApp or one of the chat programs, and then they start telling them to do different things. And it starts out as, like, watch a horror movie, but it works itself into self-harm. 
And there are reports, but none of it has been corroborated in the U.S. at least, but in Europe, of kids killing themselves. And and again, that that's they don't know. It's hard to prove it back to this Momo challenge, but it's been going around. And and so, if you don't talk to your kids about it, and they see it, then they're going to go potentially get involved in it, and maybe they won't. But you need to make sure they know and understand that it's just not okay, yeah. and they need to talk to somebody about it. Uh, Mrs. Leeson on the private line asking, is kids tube okay? So I don't know the answer to that. I need to do more research into that before I would give a definitive answer. Because the kids answer. can't watch YouTube. They can't yeah. watch kids tube. So there's YouTube kids, and those videos had it in it. And I don't know about kids tube because I think really? it might be a different app. So, But YouTube kids, it was some of those videos, the same thing. Now, YouTube has pulled everyone they have found. Right, like YouTube, if you see it, and that's the other side of it. If you see it, report it, and then YouTube will pull it. Um, you know, they'll go look at it and figure out if it violates and, and pull it. But even then, you have to have the right information. And so you could say, at four minutes and forty-five seconds into this video, it gives suicide instructions. And then when YouTube gets that report, they can go look exactly at what you're talking about and say you're right and pull it. And so they've been working hard to try to correct this stuff because if you look back over the past few weeks, when you're talking about pedophile stuff on their you know, suicide instructions, like this looks really bad for YouTube. You know? hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I just to me it goes back to YouTube's going to do what they're going to do and they're going to be as good as they can, but it's personal responsibility of you've talked to your kids. And so that's our rule is that they can't use computers unless they're in the living room, right? So they'll sit at the kitchen really? table or whatever, just because we can hear it and we're around it. <clears throat> And, yeah. and so it's real easy to just walk past and look over their shoulder and go, that looks fine. Um, you know, we've, like, Noah was sick Pretty this weekend. Pretty good rule. Yeah, Noah was sick this weekend, and we let him have his iPad in his room, but the door was open the whole time. And so he watched Netflix and whatever else. Um, and then recently, because he's 11, and he's watched things on Netflix that I just don't think for him would be okay, but our 3-year-old and 5-year-old may sit down with him and watch him. And so now he can't watch videos on Netflix unless we've approved him. Hmm. And sometimes it's just I want to watch it for 10 minutes and see what it is. But, you know. but Mike Bizarre, Bizarre Solutions with us, can you set up, like, here's my question to you as a parent. How can I set up the filter to know what they've watched and what they haven't watched? So it depends on what you're talking about. On YouTube, if they've logged in, it has history. So you can go back and look at your, your video viewing history. Um, on Netflix, it'll same thing. There's a little bit of a history. You can go back and see the videos that you've watched. Some of it's on the TV and through the app, and some of it you might have to go to the website to actually pull the history on. But even then, like our kids know that they can't use my profile when they're watching Netflix. Like, and my wife and I use the same profile. They use the kids' profile, which has been tagged as a kid, and YouTube gives more appropriate. Or I mean, Netflix gives more appropriate content. But the problem is, is that. Like, there's this video called Troll Hunters. My kids like to watch it, and it's a fine cartoon. But there's certain parts of it that are too dark for a 3-year-old or a 5-year-old. They're fine for an 11-year-old. It's not even really that dark. It's the bad guy, and it's just kind of a dark and grim sort of scene. But a 3-year-old has nightmares over that. 11-year-old's fine. Yeah. And so that's why we told them, like, you can't watch those when the kids are in here. Like, as the littles are in here. You, you have to watch, you know, kid-appropriate you got to watch what they want to watch, not what you want to watch. And if you want to watch something different, then you can do that on your tablet or whatever, and get headphones and but do it out here in the, you know, in the living room. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I go back to I don't want to overreact, but I, I still feel like it's my job as a parent to protect their innocence as long as they can, not to shelter them overly, you know, and 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 remove them from the world. But once they lose innocence, they'll never have it again. 
Yeah. And so I don't want a three-year-old to do that, and I don't want them. And and you, anybody can do this. Go find something on YouTube, and watch thirty seconds of it, and then look at what's on the side and the other recommended videos, and it'll be mildly related. And then watch something else, and what? And I bet if you don't try very hard, three, four videos down the road, you can be in some totally different topic than what you started on. And maybe that's bad, and maybe it's not. And and the example I have seen with my kids was they were watching movie trailers, which is fine, you know, Avengers and whatever else. Well, then horror films start popping up because they're just paying to try to get out for people watching movie trailers. And without knowing, they're like, what's that? They click it, and it's a horror film. And they don't need to see that. They're 10. Does this come up in the professional workplace, though? Do you find a lot of, as you service different, businesses fun a lot of youtube watching or like, be, i can't imagine you'd be amazed so really? youtube and netflix we see a lot of um unfortunately wow. porn we see more than you would expect um and uh pretty brazen it, it it's a yeah and so one it's a huge waste of time but tons of facebook tons of twitter youtube quite a bit netflix more than you would expect um, we had to pull a report for somebody the other day because they had somebody who was spending about five hours a day on netflix and so they were going to let them go because they weren't getting their work done. And so now they had a report to tell them that they were spending five hours a day on Netflix. Which is just like you got hired to do a job, not watch Netflix. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's what we talked about. you can generate that. Yeah, if the right software is in place, right? And so we have filtering set up for content filtering. And if it's all connected and integrated, then it will tell us who did what when on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's not about spying, but it's, you know, are people doing what they're supposed to be doing? And, and we put the filtering in to block porn and to block malicious websites and to block known hacking websites and to protect people from accidental stupid clicks and to protect people from potential lawsuits, right? I worked in a hostile work environment because the guy next to me was looking at porn all day. Like, that could be a lawsuit. And so if we block it, now you can say, no, we blocked it. And, and it's not as big a deal, but you'd be amazed at the crap that happens. Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, tell them how to reach you if they need you to solve their business needs. Yeah, so the phone number is 806-853-7757, or just look us up at com. And we have the same problem that, that you have forever, is, is everybody wants to do multiple A's. It's B-A-Z-A-R. Mike Bazaar, thank you, buddy. Yeah, man, always fun. And, golly. I know. So I told you it was it was a sobering. No, I mean topic. it's just such a oh, golly terrible people in this world. Yeah. Uh, gonna get you out to the break here, and then bring you back in and close out the program. Tell you what you can expect the rest of the week. I got my greatest showman costume today. Good. From Vintage Rose. Fantastic. Like you recommended. I'm glad that it was helpful. It paid a lot for it. Did you? hundred bucks. To rent it? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's making, making some good money there. But it's swanky, I bet. It's not a it cheap is, one. It is pretty swanky. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a um, talent show That'll at Roscoe fun. Wilson Elementary, and i got to lead the thing. Yeah. I'm going to go do some stage theatrics. And you know what my wife told me? I turned Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday, I turned 40. Yeah. She said, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> Come on, babe. Come on. <laughs> Once we were young. We were young. Uh, get out. Uh, thank you, Mike. Yeah. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, close up the program coming up right here on AM580 Love It. Neither day brought you home, you 
Hey, welcome back in to the other side. Coming up tomorrow on the show episode, however you're listening, Heath Mayo. Heath Mayo, short for mayonnaise, Mayo, has made quite a name for himself critiquing the Trump administration, wanting a conservative political action committee meeting this week, CPAC, and really questioning uh, that group and what they're up to and whether or not they hold to conservative principles. Glad to have a conversation tomorrow for you. Pretty enjoyable conversation, Heath Mayo. And then on Friday, Daniel the Digital Millennial and a local comedy act is going to be in studio with you. Kendall, you'll hear from Kendall. He's won the World of Beer a few times, the comedy show. He'll be in with us on Friday. He tried to get in some substantive stuff as well. But for now, for Ross Ramsey and Mike Bazaar, Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, gonna go home, gotta get home, great family, above average dinner, and go Red Raiders as they face off against Oklahoma State. Gonna get home for that. Uh, wish you the best this evening, and until next time, Rave On Buddies, Rave On, we'll see you next time, right here on the other side of Texas.